The fourth thing you can do to help prevent getting sick is to reduce sugar. Having five teaspoons or 25 grams of sugar has been shown to reduce a person's immune system response by half. This effect starts 20 minutes after consumption and lasts up to five hours. Hi, I'm Dr. Alexis Reed, a naturopathic doctor and chemical engineer with a master's in toxicology. I am the founder of EcoChic Movement. I built this business because I saw that parents were looking for natural and preventative health options for their babies and kids, but would get overwhelmed along the way. I am committed to helping parents feel in the driver's seat of their child's health. I am a mom who had a child with the worst eczema ever seen by his doctors and felt overwhelmed navigating his health, even with my background. I'm going to take my clinical experience combined with my experience as a mama to bring you practical solutions for your family. Join me every Monday where I interview experts and have in-depth conversations on issues that commonly pop up in parenthood. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the EcoChic Movement podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about ways you can reduce the number of times your kids get sick this year and help their illnesses to not progress to needing antibiotics or to be lingering for weeks on end. The goal of today's podcast is to let you in on all the tips and tricks I've learned in my 10 years as a practicing naturopathic doctor to keep the sick days for you and your family to a minimum. So let's kick this off on the right foot. Uh, Don't listen to anyone who is telling you that when your kids start school or daycare, they're going to get sick every other week and there's nothing you can do about it. They will get sick a fair amount, especially if this is their first time in a childcare setting. We do also tend to see an increase in sickness in the fall and winter because kids are spending more time indoors and the furnaces are on, which dries out the air. Drying out of the air can dry out the nasal passages, which makes it easier for viruses and bacteria to adhere there, which essentially means take hold, replicate, and make you sick. Can a listener from down south, aka Florida to me, Arizona, etc., comment on if you see that pattern to the same extent where you live? I just realized I'm speaking in terms of what we see here in Canada and in the northern and midwestern U.S. Also, while you're at it, turn down the volume on the comments from the older generations, your neighbors, your in-laws, etc., on how their kids got sick too, and this is nothing new, and pretty much suck it up, buttercup. Yes, obviously their kids also got sick, but the levels and frequency of viral illnesses that we've been seeing in kids since the pandemic is definitely above the norm. Uh, Another sort of fact to this that I was talking about with some friends and my sister is it also was different when kids got sick when in more households, one parent was home. Less disruption to the household, kids could stay home when they're sick, stay home till they're fully better. This is just not feasible for the majority of households nowadays when both parents are working and when both parents have X number of sick days a year. So it is something that is a major stressor for parents in our times now. So why viral illness has been increasing in frequency and severity since the pandemic, some of this likely comes from the lack of exposure to common viruses while we were all home during the pandemic, which led to a lot of kids being exposed to the first for the first time to multiple viruses all happening at once. So all these kiddos who are, you know, four and under, definitely three and under in their early developmental years most of them were not being exposed to much. So they weren't getting that first exposure to a virus when your body begins its training on how to mount that immune response. 
Normally that happens at a younger age. So now when they're seeing these viruses for the first time at two, three or four years old, they can be getting quite sick quite frequently. Um, And this brings me to another point that is difficult about all these illnesses that I think often gets overlooked and a big factor in why trying to reduce, trying anything to reduce duration and severity is so important. Parents don't have that many sick days, as I touched on before. For example, Harvey recently had hand, foot and mouth, and I had taken him into the clinic to get swabbed just to make sure it wasn't strep throat. And the doctor said, make sure to keep him home for seven to 10 days. I kind of chuckled to myself and thought, gee, I wonder why hand and foot, hand, foot and mouth is so rampant in daycare and kindergarten settings, because the most contagious stage is right before they get sick. And for seven to day, seven to 10 days after they're still sick while the blisters are still on their hands and feet and open. So realistically, most parents cannot keep their kids home for seven to 10 days for one illness. Even when parents are splitting the sick time that they take off, which I think they should be, they will both run out of available sick leave quickly. I'm lucky because I work for myself that I'm able to keep him home whenever he's sick until he is fully recovered. But even though I can make this happen, it's still not desirable. It means the last month has been mayhem. (laughs) It means many late nights working, having to reschedule appointments with patients, and just getting the bare minimum done in my business. And it results in very tired and burned out parents. I see in my practice that kids' sickness is a significant source of stress for parents with young children, so helping to keep kids healthy helps the whole family dynamic. So now I'm going to jump into all the info about kids and sickness. First off, let's start with what's a normal amount of sickness. So what's considered to be normal, air quotes, in terms of number of colds and viruses per year is seven to eight per year for babies, toddlers, and preschoolers. So you're four and under crowd. Five to six viral illnesses per year for the school-age children, so that's ages five to 12, and four illnesses per year for teenagers and adults. I truly believe that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's why I studied naturopathic medicine in the first place. And obviously, we cannot prevent all illnesses, and that's not a good idea anyways. Having some amount of sickness and then recovering is good training for the immune system for future infections. I want to go over some overall good housekeeping things to help reduce frequency of illness. So the first one likely comes as no surprise, and it is frequent hand washing. This is one of the most well-researched ways to prevent the spread of viral illness. I will also say, however not to use antibacterial soaps at home. The last three years has led to an over-sanitization, especially with children, and this has likely caused some disruption to their normal microbiome. If you want to know everything there is to know about the microbiome, head on back to episode five with Cheryl Suhoy from Tiny Health. It's really informative on microbiome and what you can do to help with that. It is okay to use hand sanitizers, and such in public settings, but within your own home, stick to soap and water. The same thing goes for cleaning products. If you want to learn more about the impact of toxins in cleaning products, go listen to episode four. With your cleaning products, skip the antibacterial and disinfectants unless gastro has just swept through your house in favor of more natural options. The second good housekeeping item is eating a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. I know this can be challenging for some kids. 
I'm not opposed to sneaking in veggies in the fall and winter months. Things like veggies pureed into spaghetti sauce or adding spinach to smoothies or muffins. Eating a wide range of colors is a good way to get a variety of antioxidants and phytochemicals into the diet. These are supportive of the immune system. And a bonus is fruits and veggies are also typically a good source of vitamin C. So the third good housekeeping item is cooking with onions and garlic. Garlic and onions both have strong antibacterial and antiviral properties. Adding garlic and onions to food can also help increase the diversity of the microbiome in the gut, which helps with immune function. Honey and onion is one of my favorite cough syrups for kids, and I will talk about that a little later. It's not as gross as it may sound. (laughs) Um, The fourth thing you can do to help prevent getting sick is to reduce sugar. Having five teaspoons or 25 grams of sugar has been shown to reduce a person's immune system response by half. This effect starts 20 minutes after consumption and lasts up to five hours. So 25 grams sounds like a lot of sugar, but it's not. it adds up really quickly. A pop or soda has 42 grams. Fruit Loops has 14 grams per serving. Juices can have 20 to 25 grams a cup. So don't be afraid of sugar in fruit, but be mindful of kids' overall fruit consumption. So you can see if your child is having, you know, a serving of Fruit Loops and some juice before school in the morning, sending them off to school, you can be unknowingly sending them to school, impairing their immune system by half because the effect lasts for 20 minutes to five hours. So that's pretty much the duration of their day at school. So it's just a an easier switch to make that can really help give them a fighting chance against the germs they're going to encounter at school. And then for fruit... Lower sugar fruit options that also happen to be high in vitamin C are blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, watermelon, peaches, plums, and blackberries. The fifth preventative measure we can take for getting sick is to limit dairy. So dairy can increase mucus production and congestion, especially if they're at the beginning stages of getting sick. Dairy reduction or elimination is extra important for kids who suffer from recurrent ear infections. And the sixth one is vitamin D, especially for those of us who live in northern climates. I'm looking at you, everyone in Canada and in the U.S., if you're north of Colorado. So we make vitamin D when the sun hits our skin. If you live in a northern area, the angle of the sun makes it not possible to make vitamin D in your skin from October to May. So supplementation is important for these people. Are you triggered by the sound of your child coughing or sniffling? Do your thoughts automatically go to, oh no, not again. We just all got better. I have a big week at work. Who's going to take time off as you go running to grab the thermometer? It's not in your head. Last year was one of the worst viral seasons on record for kids. If it felt like your kids were off sick every other week, that's probably not much of an exaggeration. As soon as the cold weather hits, the bugs come along with it. I want you to be well prepared and well equipped for this year's cold and flu season. So that is why I recorded the EcoChic Movement Kids Sickness Workshop. In this workshop, I will cover everything you can do to reduce the duration and severity of your child's viral illness. I go into depth on fever management, vitamins and herbs to help prevent sickness, the best vitamins and herbs to take once you are sick, how to manage ear infections, 
Yes, even the recurrent ones, recovering from gastrointestinal infections, the role of gut health in the immune system, what to eat and what not to eat when you are sick, and so much more. I want this workshop to be something in your toolkit that you can open up at 2 a.m. and get answers as opposed to going down the Google rabbit hole. So I have priced it super low to be accessible to everyone at $7. You can use the code PODCAST, all capitals, to get 25% off your first order, making the workshop only $5. Trust me, it's worth skipping your latte one day to grab it. It may even make you need that latte a little less. While you're at it, add a chest rub to your cart. It's designed to be safe for use right from the newborn stage, and it's very gentle yet effective. Now that we have covered a lot of things that you can do from a preventative perspective, I want to talk about one of the scary topics when kids are sick, which is fevers. It is scary when your baby or child has a fever. Totally get it. We were fortunate that I don't think because, well, fortunate, not fortunate, it was because of COVID, (laughs) that Harvey never had a fever until he was probably nine or 10 months old. But when he did, I felt panicked, even knowing everything I know. And I want to say, I truly do get how stressful fevers can be. Even still, I'm always like, when he gets a fever (laughs) right off the bat, it's just like that visceral response. I want to go over a bit about what is happening during a fever to help put your mind at ease. When someone has a fever, it is generally the body's response to an infection or a foreign invader. So the body makes itself hotter to make it harder for bacteria and viruses to replicate and survive. A fever can make you feel miserable, as I'm sure you've experienced. And in most cases, a fever itself is not something to be afraid of. Most doctors and hospitals have moved to not automatically treating fevers once they reach a certain temperature, but to treat based on how the child is feeling and acting. If your child has a fever of 38.5 Celsius or 101.3 Fahrenheit, but is playing and acting normal, there's no need to give a fever-lowering medication. There are few instances where fever is a concern or what we call more of a red flag, and I want you to know these. So any fever, and by fever, we're talking over 38 Celsius or 100.4 Fahrenheit, in a baby who is three months old or younger. So this is concerning and it they need to be seen at the ER like that day. It does not necessarily mean something is seriously wrong, but the baby needs to be evaluated to make sure. Babies under three months have a higher risk of having sepsis, which is an infection in their bloodstream. So they need to be seen to make sure that that is not what is causing the fever. If your child has a fever that lasts longer than three to four days, they should be seen by a doctor. Three to four days is still within what we call the viral window, so it could still be a viral infection, but they should be seen to make sure that they don't have something bacterial like strep throat or a urinary tract infection. The other instances, if your child is lethargic or dehydrated from their fever, they should definitely be seen. If your child has a febrile seizure, they also need to be seen. Approximately one out of 25 children will have at least one febrile seizure. Having a febrile seizure does not mean that they have epilepsy. Children between the ages of six months to five years are the most likely to have febrile seizures with the greatest age risk being at around age two. If a febrile seizure lasts more than five minutes, an ambulance should be called. So now that you're up to speed on fevers, I want to let you know one of my favorite tricks to treat a fever. And I'm smiling because people always think, 
That seems a little out there, but it works so well. (laughs) And they're called magic socks or wet socks or warming socks. They go by a few different names. Now, this is going to sound a little wild, but stay with me. My favorite thing to do at first sign of a fever or congestion, especially with kids, so this is for kids six months and over, is the warming socks. So when someone has a fever, their body sends more of their blood to their trunk and less to their arms and legs. With warming socks, you run a pair of cotton socks under very cold water and make sure to wring them out well. You put the cold, wet socks on your child's feet, and I put one cold sock on one foot, cover it with the wool sock, and then do the other foot, and then you cover that with a dry wool sock. I do one foot at a time just because the cold, wet socks don't feel fantastic. Um, So this causes blood to travel back to the feet to warm them, and this helps reduce fever and congestion. Now, if this sounds like some form of medieval torture, hear me out. I've done this many times on myself over the years since I first learned about it about 10 years ago. And I'll be the first to admit that it doesn't feel great when you put the wet, cold cotton socks on. Make sure you wring them out well. But the trick is to get the dry wool socks on over top quickly and get your feet under a blanket. Once the wool socks are on, the wet, cold sock feeling subsides and it's only mildly uncomfortable. And I also, just because I always get asked, where do I get the wool socks? For kids' wool socks, they do carry them at H&M here in Canada. And then um, I was actually at Dollarama yesterday and they had adult wool socks, $4 for two pairs. So picked up some to stock us up for the winter. I also do this with Harvey all the time. At the first sign of illness, or if he's starting to spike a fever overnight, I do it while he's asleep. He often wakes up a little bit, goes burr, and goes right back to sleep. It's a good one to do overnight. As the feet warm the socks, they the child will often kick both pairs of the socks off overnight, and it's a great way to break a fever. It also helps, and I've used it in this way many times with Harvey, when the fever is breaking through or coming back before their next dose of fever meds is available and it also helps with congestion. So I have a blog with full instructions on how to do the warming socks that I, that will be linked in the show notes. Okay, so now that you're no longer afraid of fevers and have some tricks on how to manage them, I want to talk a bit about natural options if your child does get sick. So the last few years has resulted in a lot of info swirling on the internet about what to take to not get sick. So zinc is the key. No vitamin C. What is is what we've been hearing a lot of lately. But if I had to pick a few unsung heroes, the top of my list would be vitamin D. So vitamin D is something that's on most new moms' radars, especially if they're breastfeeding, because it's recommended supplement to make sure your baby is getting adequate levels. I have found in my practice that most parents fall off with giving their baby vitamin D around the four to six month mark. Babies are typically in need of this supplementation, especially because most parents aren't leaving their kids sitting in the sun without sunscreen, so they really aren't making much vitamin D via their skin. Now, vitamin D is what we call a Goldilocks vitamin. Because it's fat-soluble, which means it gets stored in the body, it is important not to overdo it. Stay within the recommended ranges for your child's age, which is 400 to 600 IUs for babies under one and up to a thousand IUs a day for for kids up to eight and older. So from one to eight. One of the most important keys to treating viral infections with vitamins and herbs is to start treating early 
ideally at the first sign of illness. My favorite herb, and it also happens to be one of the best researched, is echinacea. Echinacea has antiviral and antibacterial properties and has been studied to be effective on a variety of different viruses and bacteria. It's one of the only herbs that has been determined to be safe to take during pregnancy and breastfeeding as well. So even just based on the fact that it has been well-researched on a variety of different viruses and bacteria makes it a good first option for the first sign of illness because there's a fairly good chance that it will have some specificity for whatever invader is making you sick. Echinacea can be taken daily during cold and flu season as a means of prevention, and it is quite effective when used at the first sign of illness. My other favorite that I touched on earlier is honey and onions cough syrup. So since 2008 in Canada, it is no longer recommended that children under the age of six take conventional cough medicines because of a number of side effects and adverse events that were being reported. So since this time, honey has come into the spotlight as a cough superstar. Multiple studies have shown that a single spoonful of honey reduces cough significantly compared to placebo. It also helps reduce mucus secretion and helps to facilitate sleep. Nagging cough, even after being better from illness, is quite common in toddlers and can cause serious sleep disruption for all involved. Now, I like to take the honey cough syrup one step further by mixing it with onions. I chop up half an onion and cover that with honey, preferably local and unpasteurized honey, and leave it on the counter to infuse anywhere from one to four days. Then... When someone is sick, I take out a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon at a time. I dip that into the honey and onion mixture and give that as a cough syrup. So I just dip it in and scoop out the honey. I leave the onions in the jar. It doesn't taste strong like onions. The honey really tones that down. I choose onions because they contain sulfur compounds and quercetin, which act as expectorants. Expectorants are things that help get the mucus out. Onions are antibacterial and antiviral, as we talked about earlier, and quercetin is anti-inflammatory and can also help to soothe the sore throat. So one thing to note is honey is not to be used as a cough syrup until your baby or child is over one. While we're on the topic of onions, I'm going to share my last quirky trick with you. This one is for ear infections. I have a lot more on ear infections in my kids' sickness workshop that I will link to in the show notes as well. So babies and children are more prone to ear infections than adults because their eustachian tubes or the tubes in their inner ears are more horizontal versus ours are more vertical. This tube is supposed to move mucus and fluid from the middle ear to the nasopharynx or like up high in your nose. Think behind the top of your nose. Having a tube be horizontal in childhood is a bit of a design flaw because if a child gets congested in their nose, it can restrict the flow of fluid out of the middle ear, causing that fluid to sit in the horizontal eustachian tube. So stagnant fluid then becomes a breeding ground for infection. So moving this fluid out of the inner ears is very important in reducing the frequency of ear infections. And did you know that the majority of ear infections are viral and do not require antibiotics? The new algorithm from the Canadian Pediatric Society for the management of ear infections in children six months of age and older who have a low-grade fever and mild to moderate bulging of their tympanic membrane, which is their eardrum, 
the new algorithm states that these children can be safely managed with watchful waiting for 24 to 48 hours before being reassessed to see if antibiotics are needed. So where does the onion come in? You may be asking yourself. Well, if you remember, onion is a good expectorant, or in other words, good at getting fluid and mucus moving. One of my favorite ways to reduce the fluid stagnating in the inner ear, and therefore keeping it moving and not getting infected, is to cut an onion just straight in half and saute, put the cut side down in the pan and saute in oil for 10 minutes. Let it cool, then wrap it in a thin cloth, or I even use paper towels sometimes, and hold it over the affected ear. Hold it there for 10 to 15 minutes. And this can be done a few times a day, and often the child starts feeling better fairly quickly. And it's nice to have tools in your toolkit, things like onions, honey, things that you have in your home, you know, middle of the night, you're not having to run out, or if you're away somewhere, most people have an onion hanging around at their house. Okay, there you have it. Some of my favorite ways to prevent and treat viral illnesses. I have a lot more suggestions on what to do for coughs, ear infections, colds, flus, gastro, but I didn't want the podcast to get too long and overwhelming. If you want to learn more, I've linked my free immune support checklist in the show notes, as well as my kids sickness workshop that goes into detail on which vitamins and herbs are best for which illness. If you live in Ontario, I do offer 30 minute consults to go over how to best support your immune system. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, could you please make sure you are subscribed or following so that I can reach as many new parents out there as possible. Until next time, remember you're doing the best you can with the information that you have.